celebration of Women's History Month, we are proud to have on our podcast Colleen Jenkins. Colleen is the great-great-granddaughter of one of the leading figures in the early women's rights movement, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Colleen is a legislator, author, and television producer, and co-founder and president of the Elizabeth Cady Stanton Trust. The Trust's mission, to preserve the history of the women's rights movement, educate the public on this history, and promote the advancement of women's rights. I hope you enjoy our talk. I'm Jonathan Hall, and you are listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. Hello, Colleen. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, it's great to talk with you. Uh, we're celebrating Women's History Month this March, and we're really excited to have you as a guest on the podcast. And. Uh, we know you have a deep personal connection to women's history through your own family. Uh, could you tell us a bit about your fa own family tree? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm the matrilineal descent of a pioneer in women's rights. Her name is Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And she actually was uh, one of the co-conveners of the first women's rights convention in Seneca Falls, New York. Wow. She was considered the philosopher of the movement and the writer of the movement. And more importantly, you have to back up to look at her childhood to understand it. Uh, in essence, she grew up in a soup of law. Mm. Her father was a lawyer. Her, his law office was attached to their home. Uh, he was a judge in a court down the street. He was a New York State Supreme Court judge, a member of con U.S. Congress. Okay. So all around, there was law, law, law. And in fact, there weren't law schools back then. So if you were to study law, you'd be a clerk with a lawyer or a judge. And they actually lived in the <laughs> this uh, KD home. KD is a surname, C-A-D-Y. Mm -hmm. And so they would they would bait Elizabeth as a young child about, you see that necklace around your neck? And she said, yeah, I just got it as a Christmas present. And they, one said, well, when you get married, your husband will be able to swap it for cigars. Wow. And uh, it would go up in smoke. So she learned law, the philosophy of law. She would see people coming to her father and, and they were distraught. After talking with the father, they were remained distraught because the laws were not particularly favorable to men, to women. They were... Yeah, it was horrible. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And so so this woman at the age of 32 goes to uh, foment revolution in Seneca Falls. And uh, they, they had a brilliant strategy. Everybody listening knows 1776. And that's when uh, Americans got together and overthrew the autocratic rule of King George III. Well, so when the women got together, and it, it was 1848, they developed their own Declaration of Independence called the Declaration of Sentiments, and they were overthrowing the autocratic rule 
of males towards women. And for instance, if a woman got married, she would be civilly dead before the eyes of the law. Um, she could not contract. She couldn't own the clothes on her back. She was not entitled to her children in the event of a divorce. She couldn't, even if she had a job, her husband would own, have legal right to the rages because she could not contract. And, you know, so even if she inherited something from her father, her, they, and got, she got married, that would pass to her husband, um, in ownership. So, you know, uh, so what's important is that, what? It's tragic. Well, I don't think you would like to, you're a male. (laughs) I don't think you would enjoy that. (laughs) Well, yeah. And uh, so anyway, they got together and uh, 1848 Seneca Falls and they called the first women's rights convention, but they needed some core documents. So they were brilliant. They drafted their document based on the 1776 document. And of course, the crucial sentence is we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. Nice. So they, you know, it's a tweaking of Thomas Jefferson's words yeah. and uh, concepts. So anyway, that's, um, that's, but just to answer your question, what is my family tree? Um, basically, Elizabeth spent her whole life until her 80s working on uh, women's rights, the right to vote, uh, all sorts of um, aspects. She spent uh, decades working with Susan B. Anthony and a whole movement. If you're going to die, you might as well have somebody, a child to take over. So she had Harriet Stanton Blatch, who's, um, I'm telling you my matrilineal descent, and she was a huge organizer of New York State. And that was a very important state, a tipping point for USA um, granting women the right to vote. And then um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton's granddaughter, who is my grandmother, is Nora okay. Stanton, Blacks, DeForest, Barney. Let's call her Nora. Okay. Well, she went to, she decided she's going to go to Cornell, not Vassar, as her mother went to. And she was going to take a field of study where there was no woman. So she studied civil engineering and she graduated from Cornell top of, you know, up at the top of her class in 1905. Wow, that's fantastic. And she was, all, yeah, it's really fun. She, so she was a suffragist as well as somebody studying civil engineering and she had a very successful career. And uh, then I have, Nora had a daughter called Rhoda. That's my mother. She was an architect. Okay. Uh, her whole life, 60 years, and then here I am. So that's the that's the quick answer to your question. It's a very impressive family tree with some deep roots. I, it, it's, it's fascinating to hear um, their stories and also, you know, being at Cornell, to hear the Cornell connection. Um, my, father's, oh, yeah. my father's a civil engineer, um, and to hear that, oh. that Nora was the first female civil, civil engineering graduate in 1905, uh, it's amazing. Right? Um, and we heard that Nora is still breaking ground, new ground today in New York. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, this is really exciting. So uh, Nora, when she graduated from Cornell in 1905 with a newly minted civil engineering degree, went to New York City and got 
you know, applied for jobs. And uh, one, one of the jobs she got was with the New York City Water Control Board. And if you fast forward that today, it's called New York City Department of Environmental Protection. Okay. And what's really amazing to answer your question about groundbreaking, well, she did work on subways in New York City, the bridges in New York City, but she also worked on the water supply of uh, the aqueduct system from upper New York State that brought water down to New York City. And uh, what's very interesting is you have to connect yes, a hundred years ago with today. And right now the New York City water supply system is failing. Mm. And this is affecting nine and a half million people. And it's been failing for a while. So New York City had to wrap its the best engineers worldwide around the solution. And that is to build a new tunnel, a new aqueduct, under the Hudson River, parallel to the existing two tunnels that take water from upstate New York to downstate New York City. And so I got an email one day in the morning and I was reading it and it's from the, uh, the water supply system asking, can we use your grandmother's name? And I, so I emailed back in what way? And then they said, well, we have the world's most advanced tunnel boring machine that is going to go under the Hudson River and drill, break new ground for this new tunnel, bypass tunnel. And I said, sure, that's a great idea. <laughs> so now my grandmother's reincarnated as a tunnel boring machine. So I, uh, to me, I, I think that's really exciting. And actually, when I was driving up the Hudson recently, um, I... I really felt that she was working very hard. And interestingly, she started work in December of last year and she works 24 seven. Wow. So she's a machine. And uh, there are three shifts of uh, crew that cycle in and out, in and out, in and out 24 seven. But Nora, <laughs> Nora stays below the Hudson grinding away. And I, I had the privilege of going to the naming ceremony. Some people call it christening okay. of the machine. Um, and what, uh, so I made an analogy about suffragette, suffragists mm -hmm. who fought very hard and they had many obstacles, but they over, overcome, overcome, became everything that nothing would really stand in their way. And so I made an analogy that Nora is a good uh, champion of <laughs> making progress. And I also said in honor of the suffragists, they had a motto, forward into the light, which yeah. is going to enlightenment and progressive thoughts. And I said, but this is a, a tunnel project. So I changed the motto or the conclusion of my speech to forward into the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, perfect. And that meant... <laughs> So that's that. And I want to give a little shout out to somebody called Dr. John Abel, okay. who's um, and he's of the civil engineering department at Cornell, and he's a professor emeritus. And he's been a wonderful supportive of, of uh, women engineering, of Nora, of the history of civil engineering, including Nora there. 
And he actually attended the naming ceremony. But what was really great, too, is he was involved with two other aspects. Right now at Hollister Hall at Cornell University, they put up a brass plaque honoring Nora, who was the um, first American woman to earn a degree in civil engineering, and uh, and then um, obviously the first one to get a first female to get a engineering degree at Cornell. But I think there's something really very important that um, also happened with Nora. When and this is very sad. Um, originally that she, when you graduate with civil engineering, what happens is that you can join your professional organization called the American Society of Civil Engineers. Mm -hmm. And so, but you can't do it immediately. You have to do it when you're, I think it's about 32 years old. So, you know, the point is that you build up your professional resume um, and you justify the fact that you not only have a uh, an education, but you also have practical experience. And so she had an amazing curriculum vitae that she had built up. And it was working on the bridges in New York City, the subways in New York City, the steel structures in southern Manhattan, and this water supply system. And so when she applied at 32 for regular membership, she was denied membership in her professional society and let's fast forward again and defeat you know you just have to believe that you're always going towards the light Mm -hmm. well what's amazing is they again i get an email in the morning from the american society of civil engineers basically saying congratulations we have inducted your grandmother into the society not as a regular member, but as an exalted fellow member. So I've never, yeah, I've never felt the feeling of wanting to cry and burst with joy at the same time because she, she actually sued them when they denied her membership in the New York state Supreme court. And she lost that lawsuit. Basically saying that a professional organization, you know, a private organization could, discriminate based on gender so she lost that lawsuit so you know it's kind of hard to be outside your professional organization but in any case I have the joy of the granddaughter a hundred years later being able to go into New York City at their annual meeting and accept something on my grandmother's behalf and I could only wish that she were there and that she could have had the honor and the professional um, recognition. Um, But I will give kudos to this organization because um, they gave us a two-page document, which basically upfront acknowledged that they did something wrong. Wow. And they discriminated. Isn't that wonderful? How often do people say they made a mistake? That's great. Um, And they, that the board, yeah, they denied it based on her gender. Um, and then they have, you know, a whole bunch of whereas clauses justifying her um, abilities and um, education. But then they have this gold standard that is at the end of this document that they gave. And it basically says that this society, in honor of Nora Stanton Blatch, DeForest Barney, that they will not discriminate on the basis of gender, race, 
ethnic origin, religion, age, marital status, sexual orientation, disability. But then they say they will discriminate on the base of, basis of ethical, scientific, and technical merits. And that's perfectly all right with me because it is a civil engineering society and they should care about ethics and scientific and technical merit. So that to me is a gold standard that all professional societies should employ. And of course, I care about access for women, but it should be access for anybody who's competent and has good ethics that they can join their professional society. Makes complete sense. Then. So did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, I, I, uh, just as some research, I went and saw the American Society for Civil Engineering press release on the, the uh, tunnel boring machine that has Nora's name on it. And for people that are listening that don't have a, a sense of what this, this boring machine is, it's $30 million tunnel boring machine. And it's, it's huge. It's, it's like yeah. the diameter, I, I, it's, like it's like 35, 40 feet wide. I, we saw the cutting blade and, um, I, oh, um, perhaps you could, um, I think it's three or four football fields long. It's just unbelievable. And it's a billion dollar project. It's giving water to, you know, 9.5 million people. I mean, this is no joke. Um, now, uh, speaking of New York State, um, I know that you are very involved uh, in Seneca Falls with the Women's Rights National Historical Park. What is one? What has been one of the most inspiring moments in your work there? Okay, so what's what's really interesting is I actually predate the park. I'm 66 years old, and I went there as a 17-year-old to see Elizabeth Cady Stanton's house for the first time in my life. And uh, and what's really important? It's not one event, but the the importance is that uh, what's grown in the last. 40 years uh, that a national park has been created. And guess what? It was a Cornell grad that worked for the Department of Interior that as she got deeper and deeper into the department, she said, well, look at all these national parks. And I think there are about 400 national parks. How many really tell the history of women? And it's not the history of women, but this is a history of Americans. And so she conceived this park. She, you know, went through all of the legislative process to create the park and, you know, working with the community. And, um, and that's amazing. I call her the Teddy Roosevelt of women's national parks. By the way, she also went on to found another park out in California called Rosie the Riveter. Uh, and the World War II Homefront National Park. So Judy Hart is amazing, an amazing person. And thank you, Cornell, for giving her a good education and a whole lot of drive. And thank you, Judy, for <laughs> dedicating your life to such fabulous projects. So anyway, so I got involved before it was even a park. Um, they, obviously, the house was in a crisis situation. Somebody wanted to buy it and make it into a religious retreat, which is really not the highest and best value of Elizabeth Cady Stanton's house. Yeah. She actually caused a lot of <laughs> religious controversy when she wrote uh, with a team of uh, the Women's Bible. Um, <laughs> 
she almost got drummed out of the core for that. But anyway, so the, the highest and best value was to consider it an essential part of American history. And that would be somewhat the equivalent of Philadelphia, um, where the Declaration of Independence was written. Well, this is in Seneca Falls, where the Declaration of Sentiments was written, mm-hmm. um, which is looking at the, you know, the majority of the population called women. And this declaration was really bold, and it said um, women need to have access to higher education, they need access to professions, um, and then the absolute most bold demand that they made, uh, that Elizabeth made, was uh, elective franchise for women, the right to vote for women. And there was only one other person at the convention, Frederick Douglass, that supported that. And in fact, there was another woman, Lucretia Mott, this very dignified Quaker, um, who said, that will make us look ridiculous. Um, Basically, and that's true of any type of radical person, is that if you're too far out, um, you will jeopardize the more reasonable requests of any movement. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so... But Elizabeth stood fast and with the support of Frederick Douglass and made, you know, argued that if you don't have the fundamental right to vote, you are missing the fundamental right by which you gain all of your other rights. So she did, and let's just say that the biggest contribution of Elizabeth to American democracy is to connect women and law. And I already told you about her background. So growing up in a soup of law. So that's, so what's the most important thing that I, to answer your question, (laughs) is that what's the most important thing about Seneca Falls is just to see not only my evolution in knowledge of uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and the women's rights movement, but also to see America's evolution in understanding this and it's really in the 1970s you have a whole new area of scholarship that's women's rights you have an incredible uh, set of scholars at uh, Cornell Mary Beth Norton and a host of others so um, so it's really wonderful to see this evolution that's not just a national park not just a, a field of scholarship but it's um, to me, it's a national treasure, and I'm actually very happy because I actually I I grew up with my mother and my grandmother. My father and grandfather were dead, um, so in a way, those women were so busy. Nobody sat down and talked to me about Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and yet they were both absolute products of her thought and her thinking and a family way of life. So I'm very happy that. I get to go to Seneca Falls. <laughs> I work a great deal with institutions. For instance, right now, there's a great exhibit at your New York State Museum in honor of New York State granting women the right to vote in 2017. And now I'm also working with um, the National Get Portrait Gallery down in with the Smithsonian because they're gearing up for 2020, yes. which is the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. And the 19th Amendment is universal suffrage. It's not just women's right to vote, but why it's called women's right to vote is because women were the ones that were still left out. So go figure. <laughs> now, you, you speak yeah. of 
2020, you, you have some exciting news about uh, 2020 and a new statue in Central Park. Can you tell us a little bit about Oh, yeah, Jonathan. So do you know Central Park? Yes. Okay. So when you walk around Central Park and you open your eyes and you look at the statues, you will notice that 23 statues are famous men. <laughs> they have names. They have accomplishments. They have paper trails. Um, Shakespeare, Columbus, uh, Robert Burns, uh, Daniel Webster. Uh, so, but when you walk around Central Park right now today, you will notice that the females of Central Park are Alice in Wonderland, Mother Goose, Juliet of Romeo and Juliet. I don't know why, but there's a generic witch, a huh. W-I-T-C-H. Um, so, and like all fictional and then furthermore they're not necessarily fictional role models <laughs> um for instance if you had a daughter or grandchildren that you wanted to take around greenwich park in grand central park what are you what are you going to say you know here's daniel webster and you know you can grow up to be do things as daniel webster did but then you know what do you say to your granddaughter your daughter you say you can be an ingenue your whole life and live in you know the alice in wonderland or you can be mother goose and just have lots of babies and eggs and hatch them and <laughs> or you could be a witch yeah, very inspiring role models <laughs> oh no it's really pathetic um and so basically we made the argument um and it's um, uh, we formed the elizabeth katie stanton and susan b anthony statue fund and by the way there's a woman in cornell in ithaca that's been a very lovely contributor um well we formed this and then we made the argument to the new york city parks department that we live in the 21st century it is unacceptable that you that this public forum the world-class public forum does not have the presence of female statues and then we got a lot of pushback, for instance, oh, we have a moratorium since 1965, no new statues. And we say, well, that's you know unacceptable. Another person said to us, you don't want a statue. And we were like, silent, we were dumbfounded. And then we, he filled the silence by saying, you want a garden? Oh, come and on. And we're still, dumbfounded and then we said then he says uh let's see and then he, he's it's clear that he nobody's jumping on that bandwagon and then he says well we'll call the garden a woman's garden and so it's just the same line of thinking that women are daisies and roses and uh lilies and you know you know we're real women and we want stanton and anthony and the whole suffrage movement represented in a statue uh, we want real names, real people, real history, real impact on the United States, and r real role models. And we're not only building a statue that will be unveiled in 2020, but we have also got an educational campaign that supplements all of this stuff. And we're working with the New York Historical Society, which is right near the park, and uh, it's going gangbusters, and we're doing really well. I actually served on the jury. I am serving on the jury. We took 91 submittals for the statue contest, and then we've narrowed it down to 
four semifinalists. Okay. And then we're going to announce the finalist in July. And why July? We always choose important dates. That's the annual, you know, annual celebration of the first women's rights convention. So we're going to, down in New York City, we're going to announce the finalist, and then they have essentially two years to complete the statue. And then we're unveiling it, and everybody's welcome to come to Central Park Literary Walk, mm -hmm. uh, which is prime real estate. And we're going to unveil the statue August 26, 2020. That's the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, voting rights for women and all. That is so cool to hear. That is fantastic. Well, do you have your calendar open? Have you marked it in your calendar? <laughs> I have now. I just wrote it down. I can, I can just imagine the amount, you know, it's not just statues. As you said, there's a whole edu educational um, platform devoted to this. So I can see articles in the Smithsonian. I can see National Geographic okay. covering this. I can see this in the newspapers and then television. And then, you know, I, I also imagine there, there's probably you know, an audio tour for people that could walk through uh, and just listen yeah. to their phones and things like that. That's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely on target. And what's interesting, uh, this is, we've been working on this for several years, mm -hmm. um, like three years, and we've really done very well, considering you have to, there's, you have to change the circumstances. Uh, but uh, if you go to Central Park, where are the women? Okay. Don't you love that? Central Park, where are the women? <laughs> dot org. Uh -huh. or, or monumentalwomen.org. And what we do is we have a lot of the press clips and television clips. And what's really phenomenal is Girl Scouts have gone wild. Uh -huh. And uh, so, and they're media magnets. So they're wonderful. And they, they're very pithy about what they say. And I'm not going to Central Park and just see, see men. I need to hear about some women. <laughs> you know, they're just very on target. And, uh, it's, so, and they've been do donating their cookie money. So you, this is, I don't know how they did it, but one troop just gave us a $5,000 check. Can you imagine? Like, they're, they're really good cookie sellers, but that's nice. Apparently, they're allowed to donate their money to causes that they want. And then this is really great. New York Life Insurance Company yeah. uh, jumped on board. And this is amazing. So the president of their foundation was reading about us. And she said, what an amazing synergy. Because Susan B. Anthony had a New York Life Insurance policy. And she used that money to... Uh, put women through the University of Rochester. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's so they jumped on board with a half million dollars matching grant. How about that? Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. Isn't it fun? That's and so then it was Sus Susan B. Anthony's father and brother or something like that were New York Life Insurance agents. So... <laughs> So the synergy is uh, wonderful, and we appreciate their support. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you have you could have support coming uh, from uh, so many people, so many people. Well, 
Well, it, and there, there's a lovely lady, and uh, I haven't met her yet, but um, she's, I know she lives in Ithaca, and we really appreciate it. Actually, what's really fun is a lot of people are doing gifts in terms of 2020. Like they'll give twenty dollars and twenty cents nice. <laughs> or two thousand. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, anything. It, I, you know, it's very important that people feel a part of it and make it happen. Definitely. Hindsight, twenty twenty foresight. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's actually very good. Yeah, it's perfect vision. Perfect vision. Perfect vision for our country. Well, Colleen, it was such a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. I um, was very inspired uh, to hear your stories, and um, I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Jonathan. And I want to thank you and uh, Cornell University Press, and then also this incredible new imprint that you have that it, I understand is called Three Hills. Yeah, yeah. And that you're going to be focusing on New York State ideas, and I understand that uh, that you're going to be working with Judy Hart in telling the story of how to create a national park. And I love it. It's like the nuts and bolts of national parks. And this is a national park for women's rights. Yeah. Uh, and so I just, it's kudos to you. I want to be the first one to buy a copy. <laughs> thank you so much for your support. And uh, good. thank you so much for, for uh, sharing your stories with us and, and your, your life story. We, uh, very honored to have you on, on our podcast. Well, thank you, Jonathan. And I look forward to seeing you in the future at all of these fantastic events coming up. I look forward to seeing you uh, perhaps in Central Park, uh, if, if, uh, if not earlier. Okay. Great. Great. Thanks, great thank you. you. All right. You take care. Bye-bye now. That was Colleen Jenkins, founder and president of the Elizabeth Cady Stanton Trust. If you would like to learn more about Colleen and her work, please visit her website at elizabethkatystanton.org. Thank you for listening to 1869.